You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in, welcome in. This is Inside Carolina's premium live YouTube show, Inside Carolina's On The Beat podcast. Ross Martin, John Bowman, waiting on Adam Smith again. Adam, if you're listening, set your clock back an hour. You'll be on time. Doing well. Ross has the uh, juice cleanse treating you. Day four, juice six. Wow. What, fl- <clears throat> what flavor? What fla- well, hold on. Johnny T-shirts are sponsors <laughs> and all that stuff. What what flavor juice are we on now, Ross? I heard you talking about one when you did the scoop with Don. This is a orange, lemon, carrot, ginger juice. I just finished a collard green cucumber pineapple one too. So we're down how much? Weight lost wise. about nine nine pounds. But wow. I think I'm gonna gain, I think I'm gonna gain it back tomorrow or the next day. One more day. And, and probably down about hundred and fifty dollars for all that premium juice that you're buying. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Hey, pay now or pay later. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, Adam Smith. A new face, at least in the last couple of weeks. What's happening, my man? We're we're doing this on Thursdays now. Is that right? <laughs> Thursdays at nine p.m. So your clock right now should read eight oh five. I was on here Tuesday night, but nobody showed up. I don't know what happened. <laughs> That's great. Is that an old uh, old school Colonial Athletic Association ah, shirt? It is. It is big CAA matchup last night between College of Charleston and UNCW. I assume College of Charleston won that. It was a tight one down at Trask Coliseum in Wilmington. They did. My son just got an acceptance letter to UNCW. Um, probably won't be his choice, but we'll see what comes in later. All right, let's get right into it on the beat. We got uh, close to 100 folks in here. Um, a lot to talk about tonight. We'll start with Dre Bly's exit. Somebody in the chat said, football or basketball talk first. We're starting with football because we're going to have a special guest here in a minute. But Ross, uh, I guess, um, not surprised, but maybe so. I don't know. What's your take on this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's relatively surprising, I would say. I would think of, um, you know, if you read the message boards, the two coaches they, they kind of want fired based on results would be, Tim Cross and Dre Bly, just based on how their units have performed over the last four seasons, especially the last season, defense has gotten worse in those areas, especially with the talent influx at defensive line um, and at cornerback. I mean, he had some talented corners with with Grimes and, and Duck. And um, is my audio okay, John? Yeah. Is 
a good AirPod good audio for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mac Brown said he'd meet up with Gene Chizik and make a decision on some coaches, and it sounds like the first move um, was to part ways with Dre Bly. It sounds like Dre Bly is going to pursue coaching opportunities elsewhere. It does seem like you know mutual parting, but it does seem like it was a uh, one-sided. I'm sure Dre would love to stay at UNC, but. Um, I think it's a necessary move if, if to get better at that position. Because um, I think he was really good at recruiter uh, based on the talent he brought in from the 757 for a couple of years. But, but once that talent's not developed uh, at cornerback, you kind of lose. You, they can easily recruit against you. Um, I think that was one factor to think about. Um, you know, when we, I think Tony Grimes is kind of the, the guy you look at coming in as a five star not really getting better, almost getting worse over the three years um, and then transferring. And that's kind of the worst case scenario there. So part ties, uh, part ties with, with Dre Blyb and to see if there's anything else that happens. Um, we don't know. I, I don't know if there's any more moves made and interesting to see where Mac Brown goes. Do they, do they move Charlton Warren to uh, coaching both defensive backs, uh, safeties and corners, and then bring in someone to coach maybe um, Jacks and, and rush end, and defensive ends, and then keep him across the defensive line? Or, or how do you handle um, the coaching group now? I'm sure Gene Chizik and, and Charleston Warren will have a say in that moving forward. But, yeah, Dre Bly, one of the best cornerbacks, one of the best defenders in UNC history, um, essentially fired uh, yesterday. So that, that is shocking, man. I thought, you know, for his recruiting prowess, you'd think he could keep him on. But he's gone. Yeah, de- definitely in some sort of role, I guess, the – the option to coach cornerbacks was not a not a thing anymore for Dre Bly. So he moves on um, where he lands up. I'm sure um, we will keep up with it, find out, and, and hopefully he's successful. Adam, what would you think? I mean, you asked, you had to ask the question on Monday, and uh, Mac answered it and told you he was in no rush. Um, and here we are right. 48 hours later. Two days later. <laughs> he gave us what he said. He said, uh, he basically said, so give me two weeks. I mean, he said the words two weeks. And then, yeah, two days later, Dre Bly, they have uh, mutually agreed. How does a mutual agreement of parting ways work? Does that ever even, does that ever happen in the world, real world? I don't know. Um, it's like a breakup. It's always one-sided, right? It's all, it can be as mutual as you want, but it's always one side. It's always someone's decision. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I agree. I echo with what, I echo Ross in that. Um, I obviously the development at the, at that position was an issue, but for whatever reason, I felt like that Max connection to Dre as you know a player in Mac 1.0, one of the one of the greatest defensive players in school history, and Dre's uh, recruiting prowess, I felt like that just sort of in Max's mind would outweigh um, the the those the pluses there would outweigh the negatives in Max mind. That's how I always looked at it, but it didn't, um, you know, he, they, they made the move. And like Tommy alluded to, we had heard that, uh, that Dre was offered. A, a, I don't know if offered's the right word told that you can move to a different position in the staff for the same amount of pay and did not do that. Um, so yeah, Dre Bly's out and, uh, they need, you know, you need to hire another coach. You could hire someone to coach the Jacks. You know, you should hire somebody to coach the defensive ends if you wanted to make Charlton Warren just, you know, the overseer of the entire secondary. Um, a lot of different ways you could go. Uh, will Tim Cross be next? 
I I do yep. not know, but obviously that the conventional wisdom was that um, there the pass rush has been sort of punchless the last couple of years, and that the play in the secondary has been lacking. Um, so I, I think another point is all his corners transferred. You know, like that's kind of yeah. like jarring. Like what you have Tamir Brown, Storm Duck. Uh, Tony Grimes and Dante Balfour all transferring for, you know, that's, that's gotta be what at least half of your position room. Dontavious um, Nash. Is, is, is he a corner? Or is he a he's safety? a safety. He's okay. a safety. Um, so four corners transferring, which is a little jarring and hard to, um, you know, not, not notice. Like why are these guys transferring? Like a guy, like Dante Balfour, you know, just a sophomore redshirt freshman, you know, he, he, he could have probably stayed and played eventually, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, too, it's worth mentioning as well, Storm Duck and Tony Grimes were on NFL draft radars ahead of uh, last season and ahead of this past season. Um, And, you know, there's a reason why both of those guys are transferring to other programs rather than declaring for the NFL draft. I think that's another piece of this conversation is, you know, taking someone like Storm Duck or Tony Grimes who maybe was a day three NFL prospect in the eyes of uh, some guys like Mel Kuyper and some of the experts out there. And instead of sort of developing and turning into a day two NFL guy, those guys are now onto other teams to maybe rehabilitate their NFL profiles. So I think that's a, another piece of it. And, and one final point I wanted to make too about Bly, it's worth mentioning. So in the 2022 class, UNC signed five of the top eight players from the state of Virginia. That's only one year ago. So, you know, Bly was a prolific recruiter. Um, We all know, too, he had a very close relationship with Josh Downs. Mm -hmm. And Josh Downs was a sensational player for UNC for three straight seasons. So I think it's uh, a little bit of a a bittersweet moment. I think Mac, always a consummate professional, he handled it. Uh, in sort of a way only he could by trying to make it the wording as, as gentle as he could make it. Josh Down said, but I can remember Ross and I, you know, the group of us uh, that you know cover the team regularly, talking to Josh Downs and asking him just about his path, you know, to becoming a two-time first-team All-ACC receiver these a thousand-yard seasons, and he said he could remember when Mac got the job because he said my uncle, meaning Dre called me up when Matt got the job and said, Hey, I'm going to Chapel Hill. You got to come with me. Um, and that always stuck out to me that, uh, you know, he thought about it all the way back to when, you know, he said he was 150 pounds. Now Dre's coaching the cornerbacks and, you know, he's not coaching the receivers, but you know, he got one of the best receivers in the school history in there too. And I've got to think his relationship with like the Drake Mays of the world um, didn't hurt, you know, with his ties to Charlotte and things like that. Yeah. There you go. I, when I wrote the article, Bly had a um, a role in recruiting all those players that you see on your screen. Sam Howe, Josh Downs, Tony Grimes, Cedric Gray, Drake May, Keyshawn Silver, five star, Zach Rice, five star, George Petaway, Taewon Holloway, Tyshawn Chapman, Marcus Allen. So some of the most talented players of the last four years. Bly was a very active recruiter. Um, I was speaking with a staff member, uh, and he told me that Bly would help out with any recruitment, regardless of position side of the ball um it would help out with any position and he was very willing and active as a recruiter and look young african-american i mean i don't know they very helpful i mean that's a good person to have to talk with young black people who are going to play for your school so um and he was energetic vibrant 
you know, he would come talk to me and Adam after uh, press conferences for like 20 minutes, give us all this, you know, kind of go back and forth with us. So uh, we had a relationship with him as well. So, um, and he loved Carolina. Ross, yeah. Add yeah. That to the list yeah. Too. He loved, played in the NFL. I mean, he won a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like uh, there are all these boxes that he checked as far as a recruiter. Now, you know, you know, you take it over to the development side, but I totally agree with Ross. I mean, he, the energy that Dre Bly had was infectious energy, I thought. You know, like you couldn't help but sort of smile and get happy when Dre Bly came around. And you heard him coming, too. You could always hear him coming. <laughs> Tommy, you'll be a special guest. Yeah, speaking well of great hearing and come, you know, this is the biggest guest possibly in this show's history. <laughs> I want to give a shout out. Uh, let's bring him on. Is he oh, in? How doing? <laughs> Look at this. Five this is screen. when duty calls. I come in, you know. <laughs> Look, so, let, let, let me what, the bat signal. Let, let me make a point while Don's in here, Ross, and then I'll let you introduce Don fully. <laughs> but what's interesting to me about this is the, the analysts can coach now. Analysts and all that can coach on the field and do all that. They've, the NCAA has changed that rule. So that's why I was a little surprised that Dre wants to stay in the coaching aspect of it. Well, he could have done that in a different role, whereas you, you couldn't do that before now. Anyway, it's an interesting departure, I would say, uh, but not unexpected. Go ahead, Ross. Live from Planet Fitness, we have uh, Inside Carolina football recruiting guru, Don, Don Callahan. I shouldn't give them yeah. free advertisement, should I? What a power so move. What a power we decided, move. We decided to bring Don on for a recruiting kind of, um, you know, Don's been covering recruiting and Dre Blyde now for four years. And so we thought we'd bring him on for a little bit for a little bit about um, how this affects UNC's recruiting, what Dre Blyde did for UNC, and then how this changes how UNC will recruit now, given the loss of Blyde from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, we'll give Don the floor here, pop a couple questions out here, and get him out of here before we go into some basketball talk. Don, the floor is yours. Dre Bly, recruiting. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I only focus on recruiting, so that's really, from an um, impact standpoint, that's all I care about. And I think it's a big loss for North Carolina, to be honest. I think, you know, he was one of UNC's better recruiters, and um, he was a green recruiter, for sure. I mean, he has only been a um, – you know, a college coach for a few years, you know, just when he was at North Carolina. So he kind of learned on the job and he made a couple of mistakes early on and was still making some mistakes, but he had a lot of success in a short period of time, despite his lack of, um, you know, experience, you know, for a lot of the things Ross said, he was able to resonate with a lot of, a lot of recruits, uh, particularly in that 757 area. I mean, you, you can have an ace recruiter in Charlotte, for example, and you can always replace them with another really good recruiter, bring them into the Charlotte area and um, have some success. With Bly and the Tidewater area, I just can't imagine a better anyone who could do a better job in that area. And it's, it's difficult to fully explain just what sort of um, cachet he kind of carries in that area, unless you've been in that area, you've been around those, um, you know, the camps and the different events that they hold in that area. I mean, he's idolized. You know, there's fields in that area named Dre Bly Field. And, um, you know, a lot of those people who grew up in that football community stayed in that community, and their sons went on. You know, Daylin Everett, who UNC didn't get, but UNC, you know, fought tooth and nail against Clemson for. You know, his dad played against Dre Bly when they were in high school. There's a lot of other situations like that where, where um, recruits, 
you know, parents knew him growing up. You know, his uh, Dre Bly's sister is a teacher in the area. His mom has lived in the same house forever. Um, so, you know, I think it's a big loss from a recruiting standpoint for sure. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's going to be tough to replace. I, I don't see how North Carolina can have similar success in the 757 with Dre Bly leaving. All right, I'll get in here and ask you this question. Uh, you know, it, it, it seems like there's been a sort of a shift a little bit off of Virginia, especially the 757 with Charlton Warren involved. They've gotten they've gone to Georgia and gotten some guys. Is that sort of a, a, a thing or is that just how it's worked out this last couple of cycles? Well, recruiting is cyclical, you know, so, I mean, you're kind of using this past year. Well, the year prior, most of UNC, I don't have the numbers in front of me. But, I mean, I think it was like almost half, if not half, of the class was uh, Virginia guys. And the year before that, UNC got a bunch of other Virginia guys um, in the, what would it be, the 2021? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2021 class. You know, and still, even still, even though that there was more of a focus, you know, uh, Charlton Warren has stronger ties to that Atlanta area and naturally likes those Georgia boys. But UNC still did get Paul Billups out of um, the 757 and was recruiting a bunch of other players in future classes in that area. Adam Smith, you're up. Question for legendary Don Callahan. I'll throw <laughs> I just one love everything about this, Don. I really do. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, I'm just, I was scrolling through some of the comments here as you talked, and I thought, let's see, who was it that had? I'm not smart enough to put them up on the screen, but um, there we go. Question from Slagle I thought was a good one. You know, he asked, was the lack of development in the secondary hurting Carolina on the recruiting trail? Is that something that uh, players or parents or, or high school coaches, do you think do you think they noticed that? Do you think they picked up on that with maybe, you know, Tony Grimes becoming a flop? I don't know if flop's too strong of a so, word, but is that something that you think recruits notice? So I think typically recruits don't notice those things, but I think, as you mentioned, using the Tony Grimes example, that is, uh, you know, the Tony Grimes signing, I think we're going to look back on and see it was kind of like a double-edged sword in a way because, you know, it did help um, UNC sign a lot of guys from that area, including obviously Tony Grimes. But um, the fact that things ended with him transferring and for the reasons I've heard through the grapevine on why they felt the need to transfer, that's not going to help North Carolina. And some of it was the developmental stuff. So I think, yes, to answer your question, in, in this scenario, yes, I think – it, it wasn't going to help um, North Carolina w with certain guys. But in general, you know, high school recruits just aren't that detailed oriented, oriented to really look into those sort of things. Yeah, that's a great point there. Let, let me ask you a question, Don, from Drew Krebs, and I'll pull it up on the board. Real question to the show. Is a great high school recruiter a premier quality in a coach given the portal situation? I sort of asked Mac that off the off to the side a little bit. How, how do you how do you balance high school recruiting and portal recruiting? So, so how important it is is it to have a great high school recruiter on your staff, Don? Yeah. So, um, well, so, so your question is how how great is it to have the high school recruiter? It, so your question is different than this question. Okay. <laughs> well, well, let's stick with his question since it's more clear. Okay. 
<laughs> okay. With, right, so, with, with trans with transfers being such a big role now, how important is it to have a high school recruiter? Yeah, does it diminish it? I guess is what the question yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, all right. Um, I think that still remains to be seen. You know, we've only yes, the transfer portal has been around for a couple of cycles, but this is the first one where we got like it's full on. And um, I don't know. I still think that that programs, good programs, the the core of them, the, the, the foundation is going to be built on high school recruiting. And you look back at, you know, Georgia, for example, I mean, they have a dynasty built and it's because of what they have done in high school recruiting. You look at where their ranking has been, you know, and do they do well? Does Alabama do well in the transfer quarter? Sure. But they're plugging holes. They're not building the program from that. Um, Georgia wouldn't be, you know, favor to three peak again if it, if it if they just purely went through the transfer portal because all those guys would be gone. So I still think that um, having good high school recruiters on staff is really important. All right, boys, I John. Think, I have an important I, question. How much do you bench? <laughs> I, I bench don't the tear, bar. Don't tear your pack. I got one question to get us out of here to kind of put the you know. Uh, put the end of this Dre Bly era. Like, what made him? You know, what what is his legacy? I guess as a UNC coach for four years. What made him such a good recruiter? What what, what will you remember about Dre Bly's time as a coach at UNC? You know, I think you summed it up really well. I only caught the tail end of what you were saying. Was just you know he's he's such an interesting guy because yes he's cocky and when you say that you. <laughs> at least in my mind, it's like a negative connotation, but it's almost like a fun cocky. Like no one ever takes offense to it. He's definitely very sure of himself. Um, it's almost like a, like the best example is like a Chad Ochocinco sort of thing. You know, that level of cockiness. Very, very likable. You never feel like he's talking down to you, which you can definitely get with, high, with uh, college coaches in a lot of instances. You never feel like you're talking to a, a guy who played in the Super Bowl who was at one point one of the best cornerbacks in the league ever. Um, just so incredibly down to earth. Now, yes, he will remind you certain things about his career when you're talking to him, but always had a smile on his face, always loved UNC, definitely bled Carolina blue. Um, you know, I think he did some really good things for North Carolina on the recruiting trail. There that is it. the expert Don Callahan live from, from a, a gym. We're not going to give free advertisements <laughs> out here. But if you All have a dollar, if you have a dollar, you can join. <laughs> That's got to be a first time, a Planet Fitness podcast uh, appearance. It's all maybe time. next. Maybe next time I'll be on the treadmill and do it. Right. <laughs> you go ahead. I've got an elliptical in my garage. If you want to buy it and put it in mine tower, I'll help you get okay, it there. Perfect. That's Don Callahan. Appreciate it, Don. Thank get, you, Don. Get no back to your workout. I'll see you guys, see you guys later. So very, very interesting take there or at least an interesting uh area of take there but he's right um the the loss of Dre Bly will be felt by North Carolina but I think the the relevance here and there's discussion in the chat is that player development was an issue was it Dre Bly's issue we'll find out because he is no longer on staff at North Carolina I'm going to take a short break anything left football wise guys before I move on that's, we that's an all timer. That's an all timer joining Planet Fitness. Yeah. I, I, there, I, I, I can't let that go. That's awesome. John speechless. Is there anything uh, transfer related you want to get into after the, after the press conference? Do you think worth talking about? Well, somebody asked where they're going to get any more out of the portal. I, you <laughs> know, I think I talked to Jason Staples a fair amount 
today and, and working on some things with him. Um, I, I think they still need a couple more pieces in the portal. I don't know if they're going to get in any more now. I, I think after May um, or whenever it opens, yeah. May 1st to the 15th, I think they're going to lose some more. Um, yeah. They could very well have some more announcements before January 18th. Um, like Olson gets in the portal right after classes go in session, gets your education paid for. That's how you do it. Um, so I, I think there's a significant likelihood. Don't you agree, Ross, that they lose more and then subsequently need to pick up more? Um, because yeah. as we've seen, going into a season like Carolina has down scholarships is just a way to get behind the eight ball if injuries hit. What positions do you think they need to add from Tommy? It seems like you have a couple ideas. Yeah, I think they need another wide receiver. Um, Jason and I talked, and for folks that pay attention to what Jason does, he's dropping – first one will drop tomorrow. Um, film breakdown of Nate McCollum, and then we discussed um, in a YouTube, about 10, 15-minute YouTube off of that, um, his impact and all. With McCollum comes Tez Walker from Kent State. So that's two guys. They replace the two – that left Josh Downs and Antoine Green and with them with along with Pesor and JJ Jones and the other guys you've got seven solid players there and they like to carry eight and if you look at the roster I was looking at the Go Hills roster and there's like 15 or 20 wide receivers but only six or seven of them are scholarship guys so I think they'll add one there and Ross you know I don't think you can have too many linemen you know, yeah, I think they would look to add a left tackle just as yeah. an insurance given the loss of Austin Richards. You know, I think Travion Green could be the starter at left tackle, but you need a backup, so maybe get a grad transfer in there. And I think they probably could need another corner too, numbers wise. Um, they lost four, they bring in two in the portal, but you know, the freshmen aren't ready, so it's a different world. I think a big thing to take away from the Mac press conference was that. Mac is evolving. I wrote about this evolving. We talked about this in the in the Scoop podcast on Wednesday. Mac's evolving to the point where you need players in the transfer portal to build depth for special teams. You get someone who can try to compete for a star position, but you you just need numbers now because you're losing you're losing ten. You got to replace ten, and um, and he meant he said it. He said like you know why get a freshman? We can go out and get a, a three year player. He said it sucks because you, you're not taking as many high school players. But why would someone go try to develop an 18-year-old safety when you have a, a four-year, 22-year-old safety who can ready and be an impact from day one? So yeah. exactly what I was going to say, Rawls. Sorry to cut you off, Tommy. Was that, no, you go ahead. Was that I, one of, when you talk about takeaways, one of my things in just listening to Mac and trying to hear what he's saying but also what he's implying is when he says, you know, he sort of gets philosophical and – you know, old timey in a way of, of saying, you know, I hope this just doesn't kill high school recruiting. I hope this doesn't change high school recruiting. I think he's saying that because he feels it happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he says that because that's what's happening. Because just like Rawls said, you could go get yourself a proven player on whatever level. Maybe he's proven on the FCS level, like the corner from ETSU or the group of five level, like, like Walker from Kent State. But you can get someone who is proven on the college level as opposed to a total wild card uh, who's 18 years old on the high school level. So I think when he says that, he feels it happening um, as sort of a real thing in his life. I'll tell you something that's interesting and from discussing it with Jason, and 
you know, folks aren't a member of the premium boards. You got to be just to get Jason's stuff. Um, but of course, the podcasts are free. And I, and I can't remember if we talked about that on a couple of the breakdown player breakdowns. But you get a guy with three years left in the portal out of the portal that has two or three years left. He can't go anywhere, right? You get a high school player, and he doesn't play his first year. He's out free. You get a portal guy that comes in with three years, two years to three years eligibility left, and he doesn't start right away, he's there. And now with the new – the rules that they're they're trying to put in place that you can't leave without valid reasons and all that, you know, that's the waiver deal just rehashed. Um, I think that getting transfers with multiple years is the way to go, really. I mean, to Don's point, you got to have high school recruits. But if you get a high school guy that comes in and he doesn't play his freshman year, he's out the door. And it's no different than a college team picking up a guy. So it, it's still a mess. It's always going to be a mess. To Ross's point, Max evolving, you have to. You're going to get left behind. And I think so far they've filled the gaps they needed um, with some good guys. Uh, I mean, Nate McCollum and, and Devontae's Walker, they're probably going to start. And if they don't start, they're going to have a ton of snaps between them. Um, so, and, and my favorite quote from Mac, and this is the last point before we go to break on Willie Lampkin. He's, he's, he's undersized. He's six foot, 275, 285. He's nasty and mean 47 and 0 as a high school wrestler. So, you know, he knows how to use his hands, which has been an issue, um, on the lines at North Carolina, but he said he going to make somebody in that room work really hard not to lose their job. And that's what they need to do. They need to have competition. Anyway, Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com, sponsors of this podcast. Great friends with Inside Carolina and great friends um, for you, the Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. Get your 10% off your order online or in person. If you're not a member of the Premium Message Board, you need to get there. Jason's film breakdowns on each transfer is coming starting tomorrow, starting with McCollum, as I mentioned, to Walker, to Lampkin. And you get so much more with Donnie Scoops. You, you get the Scoop podcast with Ross and Don on YouTube and on podcast feeds. But Don's written articles are great as well, as well as Sherelle McMillan and all that stuff. Basketball recruiting is heating up again, um, so it's worth it. Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. National Guys Pay the Bills. It's on the beat live. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, basketball talk. Seems like we've done this before on the Beat Live. Tommy Ashley, John Bowman with the two beat writers, Adam Smith and Ross Martin. Ross, 
Carolina goes to Virginia. Adam, you were there covering. Ross, did you go to Virginia? No, let's go to Adam. He was there. Yeah, let, let me start with Adam then. Adam, you're in Virginia. Um, what is it about that place that causes Carolina basketball players to lose their minds, at least at some portion of the game, notwithstanding Baycott getting hurt right out the gate? Well, I think I think it also has something to do with the team that plays in that place um, and the coach that coaches that team. You know, that's a pretty wimpy answer on my part, but uh, it's, it's very it's true. I mean, you know, uh, what was it before they went up there? They had scored. They had had like three straight three of the last four games had been in the forties, and one of the games they had scored fifty two. I mean, you know, I don't know. But, I mean, here's my uh, my Carolina Blue uh, take on it is I think if Baycott doesn't get hurt, they win the game. But, you know, hey, there's no way to to prove that or anything. Um, but, yeah, eight straight losses in Charlottesville. Haven't won there since February 2012. What were you doing in 2012, Ross? How old were you, about 21? <laughs> I was in Nashville. God, I was you were 20, 26, 27. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, tough place to win. I mean, I've been there. I mean, the best teams go in there and lose. Um, it's just tough place to play. He has good teams. He knows how to coach them. And I agree. Like UNC was in there till the end. Like yeah. you make that. I think Leaky Black had a corner three that might have put that would put them up that he missed Cut in the closing one. minutes. They were down one. Yeah. You know, some sloppy turnovers there late. Um, but they were in it. They were leading the second half. Um, they showed some resolve. They were down, they were up, they were down again. So, um, but now, yeah, they're down, you know, the two big men, they're down their best. I think Armando Bacot is the best player on this team, the most important player on this team, because they have no one else who can score down low. Uh, you put Justin McCoy in when Bacot was out, and it was like, God, Lee, where is the scoring? And, and then Jalen Washington came in and played pretty well and was able to score and maneuver down low, which is good to see. But I think the most important player is Baycott, and then after that's R.J. Davis. But losing Baycott was huge. Um, and I, I, I'm assuming we'll get an update tomorrow from the press conference, which I will be at as Adam and the interns fly to Louisville with Jim Hawkins. Um, but, I, I mean, it, it was a great opportunity for a loss – for a win, and they lost it. But, look, I think this team can still do a lot of things. Um, I don't think you should be – um, I don't think it's a huge, huge loss. I think, you know, I think Virginia was favored. You know, that's a good Virginia team and a tough place to play. Adam. I think just to add to that thought is that, you know, Virginia makes you earn it. You know, like wherever you play them, they make you earn it, and especially in Charlottesville. You've got to earn it. And I thought Carolina played well for what they had, especially particularly well in some stretches. You know, they had a 20 – I'm sure you guys saw. They had a stretch where they got 27 straight points – from guys who weren't named Baycott, Nance, Love, or R.J. Davis. It's kind of insane when you think about this team. But they make you earn it, and Carolina ultimately was not able to earn it. You know, those those 13 turnovers in a low-possession game are tough. And mm-hmm. uh, you can't win that way up there. But anyway, go ahead, John. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, no. I was going to ask Adam what the mood was like in the locker room because after the Pittsburgh loss – I sensed a lot of frustration. Armando Baycott in particular gave that interview um, where he kind of, you know, was maybe a little bit exasperated. I think you asked him explicitly if he was upset or not, and he said he was. So, Adam, what was the mood like in the locker room after the Virginia loss? Did you sense that same frustration, or was it maybe a different emotion? I think it was quiet. It was quiet, 
you know, you obviously they're not going to be in there partying and, and throwing water all over each other. But it was quiet, and I felt like it was sort of, um, you know, I don't want to say shell shocked, but there was sort of it was sort of a jarring thing, you know, to see Armando in there and his. I may tell you, his his ankle was quite swollen, you know, um, <laughs> the 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 veteran, the great Steve Kirshner, who handles uh, media relations and communications for men's basketball actually said, Adam Armando is not available. Cause I was headed, I was headed <laughs> over there to try to talk to him. Uh, <laughs> so I changed gears and uh, went to Pete Vance who, who did talk, but um, uh, it was not, I, I, I didn't get the frustration from Pitt Pitt. It was, it was palpable. And the, what Armando said after Pitt, he said it from the, where he was sitting to the entire room. And he wanted to make sure the people that were there got it recorded. Uh, and he actually asked later if, if we we're going to use the word shitty or if it would get like, as he said, crossed out. Uh, he wanted he wanted that out there, that he thought it was a shitty performance. Um, That's a quote, folks. Yeah. I mean, Armando is incredibly savvy. It's like when he said, go Wolfpack the night that, that NC State beat Duke when, when Carolina beat Wake. I mean, he's – I mean, he is – you know, he's he's a vet in every sense. Um, you know, John asking about Pitt made me think, you know, one of the things I keep going back to that day is Pete Nance hurt his back that day and wasn't getting any sort of treatment. I'm not faulting Carolina or anyone, but I don't know if Pete Nance was in the condition that he is in now. I don't know if it tightened up on him a day or two later because he wasn't he wasn't getting treatment. He talked to us and he went in and got a shower. And, like, that day, Justin McCoy didn't even play at Pitt, and he was, like, getting worked on by athletic trainer Doug Halgrover something about his toe. He didn't play. And he had him up on the training table looking at his toe. Um, so, anyway, I, the I didn't sense the frustration, but, I mean, you know, if you look ahead to – obviously, Louisville is not good at all. Um, if you look ahead, though, I mean, think about going into an ACC game without your starting front court – and with Jalen Washington as your one big, and I do think Jalen Washington is good and is going to be very good, but then you're trying to fill in the gaps with Leaky Black, Puff Johnson, uh, Justin McCoy, who has been terrible, and Dante Strauss. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, like, it, I know Louisville is 2-15, and 15, but they've got some size. They have a lot of size. Um, well, it's not, it's not Dante Styles because Hubert won't play him. Yeah, I've seen him, so I, I don't know if he's even that, he's not even in that rotation anymore. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, um, I, that that Louisville game, you know, that's not a good, easy place to play either. And Louisville wasn't any good last year. And if my memory serves, that's when the riot almost broke out um, at Louisville last year with people throwing stuff and technical fouls and all that uh, kind yes. of stuff. With the overtime, yeah. They and won that, it in overtime. And that was a brutally bad Louisville team then as well. I mean, North Carolina needs to get on, get ready to roll. Um, there's some discussion. We'll call it a discussion in the YouTube chat about Baycott's injury. I, we'll find out. Like Ross said, you get some sort of update tomorrow at the press conference. Um, if Low ankle sprain, he'll be back in, in a week. High ankle sprain, I mean, one of the – Alabama football players or Georgia football players missed nine games with a high ankle sprain. And that's Ooh. nine weeks in college football terms. So who knows? Um, but he needs to get back there out on the floor. One thing, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to, to discuss here 
um, talking about this team, and you mentioned Justin McCoy, um, and for the record, I think he was minus 16 in his minutes at Virginia. Ooh. Stats are brutal, man, especially when they're that bad. Um, but Adam, Caleb Love um, played really well in the first half, got some assists, and then it felt like to me like he was like, it's my turn, boys. And, and he made some plays late. Uh, a lot of people are discussing Love, and I want to discuss him as well. I, I have said, and I'm on the record saying that he's got so much good in him that Hubert Davis sees the good in everybody, and it makes sense about why Love's still out there. Um, and he should be out there. Quite frankly, this team's not good enough for him to sit. Um, but he sure makes it tough, Adam, when you watch him play. Yeah, he had an he had a nice he I think he shot one for seven in the first half. I could be totally wrong about this, but I think that was the number. But he still had five first half assists. And you looked at the first half and you're like, man, uh, you know, he played pretty well. <laughs> like, and even though he missed six shots. Um, you know, I I am just a guy that is always gonna be somewhat of a Caleb Love apologist, even though I think he shoots too much. Like uh, some of us lo- used to play a little bit way back in the day. I wouldn't want to play with Caleb Love because he pulls all the time. <laughs> I'd rather him move the ball. But I just think that his belief and his confidence in himself is his greatest strength sometimes and his greatest weakness right now. Um, you know, he has been asked by us about this shooting slump that he's been in, and he's fully aware of it. And, you know, he always says, you know, I trust my work. That's one of the things I'm sure Ross has heard from him a million times. You know, I trust my work. I trust my work. And he does. And that's why those two, what, it was two impossible threes that he kind of hit late. One of them was, I don't even know how the thing went in from our vantage point where we were. But, uh, yeah, you almost feel like when Carolina's at full strength, when Armando's in there, when Pete's available, uh, it would be better for Caleb just to cut his shots in half. Uh, you know, and get Armando more touches and other guys more touches. You know, I feel like R.J. Davis picks his spots pretty well. Sometimes you don't. Another thing with Caleb is, let me tell you, if a possession goes nowhere and there's seven seconds on the shot clock, they give it to Caleb Love. And there was a possession in the first half where he got stuck with the ball. I wrote it down. He got, he got the ball with six seconds left with Reese Beekman on him. I mean, he was screwed. He, he couldn't do anything. And he ended up chucking up a step-back three that didn't have a chance. Um, so yeah, I don't even know if I answered your question other than just running my mouth, Tommy. No, I I think, I think love is, love is really, really good when he's on, but in the first half he wasn't on and I felt like he was still good because he had the five assists. It's the, it's maddening. And it's also pretty awesome to watch if you're a Carolina fan. I mean, folks want to hate when he's playing bad, but folks want to get that big picture on the wall. I mean, yeah. Um, him making the shot in the final four. So, same guy. Um, go ahead, John. I was going to bring up this comment from Tom. It was kind of going towards the point I was making as well. Because sometimes he throws up the shots that look like they don't have a chance of making them. And, and they go in. So, would you go this far? This is a question from Tom Balance. He asks, Love should be out there, but his defense and shooting is not good. How about not starting for a while and him being the sixth man? Ross. Would you I mean, it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. It would never happen. Like they would never. I mean, he's not going to come off the bench. It's kind of like a his, non-starter. Yeah, and his defense. If you look at his defense, was it the last eight minutes of the Wake Forest game? Is that yeah. when he well, really trouble the lat at the end? But he played Appleby at the start. Yeah, I mean, Love 
love is purely an engagement guy. And when he's fully engaged, he can be fantastic. Um, but, you know, hey, part of it's on the coaching too, right? <laughs> you know, if he's been the same way for three years, at some point he's got to be coached to be different. Um, but, yeah, he's too important for this team. And you live with the good and you don't live with – I mean, you live with the bad. Go ahead, Ross. Sorry. Yeah, who would you start over, like start in his place? Like DeMarco Dunn? I mean, that Seth Trimble – Who are you going to start? Seth Trimble doesn't provide much offense. I mean, Seth Trimble's almost a liability to have out there because he can't shoot from the perimeter. So you have Seth Trimble and Leaky Black out there. You have two players that are not confident shooting from the perimeter. Leaky Black has been better this season, but I still think he lacks the confidence, whereas I think R.J. Davis and Kale Love, you know, they can hit threes. I, I mean, I think for – I mean, Caleb can miss, you know, going one for seven, whatever he went for. You know, he only made a three in the first half, and then he hit three kind of late. That might be right, but I know he hit at least two late. You know, he can have those stretches where he can knock down threes. So, you you know, he is a he is a perimeter threat they need because I think this is my next point. I mean, you're seeing how much they miss Brady. They're missing that spot-up catch-and-shoot shooter. They don't have it this year. You know, if, if Brady was in there and caught that pass that Leakey shot up, you know, they would have been back in that Virginia game and essentially won it. They're missing a shooter um, because it's not leaky. It's not uh, Trimble. It's not Puff. You know, and then Caleb and, and RJ, your ball handlers, they're not really, they're not really like the wings. So I think they're – I knew this would be an issue. They're, they're missing a, a catch-and-shoot spot-up wing um, because it, it's definitely not Nance either. I mean, Nance has, been, has knocked down some threes, but – He's definitely not that type of player. You, you would think that Puff, you know, the hope was that Puff could become that guy, but I don't think he has that perimeter shooting like his brother does. So, and then and now Nance is out too. And so that's going to be the difference with this team. Uh, people would ask me, like, what's the issue? I, I just think they're, they're really missing a shooter. And you've got to recruit shooters. you got to recruit guys who just knock it down. They don't have that on this team right now. And we've said it since they were number one that, you know, I think, I think a, a catch-and-shoot shooter – yeah, we were even talking about could Tyler Nickel play eight minutes and and be a catch and shoot guy, but we've been saying it since November, I think. Yeah, uh, when 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 everything was all uh, sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, the the yeah. the problem is also it, the shooting's bad, but then the defense just goes off the rails. They, Adam, your point, you know, Virginia makes it so hard, but Carolina, it took so much for Carolina to build that lead, so much to build it. They worked so hard to build it, and then they just give it away. Yeah. It's like I have worked all my life for all my money. Let me give it to this African prince um, that sends me an email, and I'm going to give it all away. I mean, that's what it seems like watching this team when, when they when they play defense and in the drive. I think it was Beekman at the end yeah, the um, that just had a dunk that just basically sealed the game. It was just like, what are they doing? Well, how it, is Vin, Ben Vanderplus wide open? You know, like they lost Vanderplus several times. Like, how can you lose him? You know, uh, he, he scored more points against Carolina than he'd scored in the previous four games combined. Hey, yeah, and it's yeah. not because he's great. I mean, he's pretty good. He's solid. I mean, if he's wide open, he can make a sh the shot. I mean, he's good. Yeah. He's a decent enough player. Maybe he would have helped Carolina. Maybe he could have been that spot-up guy. Anything left on the basketball end? We're about 10 minutes to 10. We usually run about an hour. This question from Turner Whitfield is, is just a launching-off point to talk about Jalen Washington. Turner asks, any chance Washington becomes a one-and-done? Um, but more broadly, how do you think Washington played against Virginia? Can he step into a bigger role if Nance and Baycott are out for a significant amount of time? Adam, you go ahead. I don't think he – can he? 
Um, he's going to have to. Yeah, he has to. I mean, he <laughs> has to. There's no other choice. I mean, you know, we all know how long of a road he had back from the ACL injuries and the surgeries and stuff. Thank God he's gotten back. I mean, what Ross and I were talking today, he had played six or seven games before UVA and scored 13 points on the season. <laughs> and then he had 13 the other night. And um, I think something to remember about UVA is how hard they defend you down there. You know what I mean? Like they bang, you know, Shedrick and the big uh, Brazilian guy. What's his name, John? I don't know. He might not even be Brazilian. Francisco, somebody seven foot one. They beat the crap out of you down there. And, you know, Jalen Washington's not Armando Bacotti. is a little more finesse. And I thought he held up well. Pete told us. He, he told Inside Carolina when we talked to him that um, he thought that, that Jalen uh, – you know, comported himself well in terms of dealing with the physical nature of the game. Um, I don't, I don't think he's going to be a one and done, but uh, yeah, I'll hop in here. I don't think he's one and done. I'm not sure he's an NBA player. People are really high on him. We haven't seen it yet. I think he's good. I, I think he can be a, a really a college player, but a four year player, but he doesn't have that athleticism, man. I mean, I don't think he, I think Baycott's more athletic than him. He does have a good touch. He had some nice little moves around the basket, but, um, as of right now, I mean, he could get he could get a lot better, but I just don't think he has the athleticism that the NBA um, seeks. Uh, but he's gonna have to step up if Baycott can't go. He's kind of all they got down there, so uh, we should see how he how he does and, and if he thrives with with twenty five thirty minutes a game now. Um, and they're gonna have to get creative with McCoy and Johnson and maybe some nickel in there and Leaky Black playing the five, maybe some. Um, Maybe we'll see Dontrez, too, if Baycott and Nance can't go. It doesn't seem like Nance is going to be ready for a while if you read Adam Smith's story. It doesn't seem like he is close to coming back. Um, must be a pretty serious lower back thing, but and, and we'll know more about Baycott tomorrow. But, yeah, I don't think Jalen Washington's one and done. One yeah, point I wanted to make. The thing I would about- say about Jalen Washington, I'd be interested to see what he looks like after a full offseason in the strength mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. where he's not having to work on rehab in his, le- his knee. You know what I mean? Like – uh, he sure does have a nice shooting form, and he gets it off high. I mean, you can tell in some of those Jim Hawkins photos that nice high release that we've run. Um, you know, it, I think it'd be interesting to see what he become. Uh, I always laugh when I hear the word NBA scouts, and Ross and I are guilty of it. We'll tweet it out that NBA scouts are at the game, NFL scouts are at the game. Some of these NBA scouts are guys that got fired from college coaching jobs that just live in the area. Uh, I can tell you one. One was very close to me who used to coach for Mark Godfrey at NC State. And um, he was talking about before the game that he thought Jalen Washington was the best prospect on Carolina's team. Um, mm. so, that's where I was. That's where I was about to go. OK, so and I don't think he's wrong. He knows more basketball than we do. Um, but uh you know, I, I, yeah, I don't think he's going to be in the 2023 NBA draft, but it would be, it'll be just like with all these guys, be interesting to see what they can become. I think he's got a very high upside. And, uh, you know, I think he's just sort of scratching the surface of getting back into playing competitive basketball. Yeah. He's long. He can run. He can shoot. And people get paid in the league to do that. You know, if Brady Manning was seven foot tall like Jalen Washington, he'd be playing in the league right now. But for whatever okay. reason, Brady Manning is six, eight maybe six, nine and a little bit slow. And he's not, he's living the life in Australia or wherever he is now. So I'll push back on you there, Ross. I think Jalen Washington is the, 
is the pro prospect on this team. Can he um, shoot? No, I think he can shoot. He's, he's, he's got a nice soft touch. Yeah. He hasn't hit a three yet. I think he's like over. He hasn't hit a shot outside 10 feet. It's pretty, though. <laughs> so he's got that going for him. John B., what you got before we get out of here? I was going to say, too, we've talked a lot on this show about bench minutes and how Hubert doesn't play the bench very much. And I think we kind of saw the impact a little bit of that against Virginia. Washington had a great first half, and in the second half he kind of faded a little bit. Even some of his shots were coming up short late. Um, so when we talk about on this show, play the bench more, play the bench more, it pays off in games like this when you need to use someone like Jalen Washington for an extended run. So I do think it'll be interesting to see how he plays after he's gotten this kind of extended game, gotten the opportunity to kind of fill his lungs with uh, a full game of college basketball and then see how that sort of impacts his stamina and his performance uh, moving forward. John with the flowy language, fill his lungs with the full college experience. It sounds like some Bob Dylan um, song. Look, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to get out of here. Um, to the bench point, I mean, he couldn't play Jalen Washington before now. So to that, to that point, I mean, he just hadn't been healthy enough to play. I'm going to throw up a fun question since everybody likes fun questions. Can each of you tell us who your favorite professional wrestler is before you conclude? I grew up going to see wrestling at Dorton Arena for like five bucks a ticket, all the greats. And some of the YouTubes and stuff out there is awesome. So I'm going to say Ric Flair just because kind of knew him a little bit and hung out with him. Adam Smith, who's your favorite wrestler? I've never been to a professional wrestling uh, event like you have, Tommy. Um, I'll say the ultimate warrior. Uh, love that face paint. <laughs> what you got, Ross? No anybody? I did, not, I did not watch any wrestling growing up. I'll say Rulon Gardner. <laughs> the real, real wrestler. I mean, I would say Ric Flair because of the Carolina connections. You know, he was shout out the Tar Heels and, uh, and Chapel Hill. Saw him plastered at, at uh, the Carolina-South Carolina game in Keenan Stadium, I guess, 2008. And everybody, of course, everybody's yelling at him to do the weird <laughs> deal. What you got, John? Do, do you know what wrestling is? Do you know what professional wrestling is? <laughs> I am I am not a big wrestling guy. You know, you yeah. look at me and you you might be surprised to, to find out that I'm not a big <laughs> wrestler. I mean, I, I know what the WWE is. Wasn't there like a UNC football player who became a, a UFC fighter? Like Travis Bond or something like that? Is anybody what? in the he, chat he's a wrestler, though. talking yeah. about? I don't. Yeah, th there was a lineman who became a um, not UFC but a pro wrestler. I yeah, think it might be Travis Bond. And then that's Mark my favorite. I can't think of anyone. Brennan yeah. Williams. Uh, Brennan Williams. That's who it is. Yeah. Got in chat. Brennan Williams. That was the name yeah. I was thinking of. Yeah. So it was a, uh, it was an interesting time back there in the day um, in Dorton Arena. Shout out to that beautiful arena there at the State Fairgrounds. Anything left, boys, before we get out of here? It's been on the beat live on Thursday, January 12th. It's almost 10 o'clock. Anybody got stat, Tommy? Yeah. Two I nickels. Got stat, I got a stat, too, after you, Adam. Okay. Well, I'm, I just looked it up when we did the wrestling thing. I, I had seen it earlier. Um, okay. So there are, well, Ken Palm recognizes some, NCAA.com doesn't recognize as many as Ken Palm does. I think some teams are in transition, but Ken Palm recognizes 363 teams on the Division I level this season. Louisville 
Carolina's next opponent on Saturday afternoon in the KFC Yum Center. Uh, ranks 355, so eight from the bottom in turnover percentage. 24% of their possessions on offense end in turnovers. Uh, it's actually 23.9%, but I rounded up. That's a lot. I mean, you think Caleb Love and R.J. Davis uh, have a lot of turnovers on the season? Go look at L. Ellis of Louisville. I was looking today. He's got 75 turnovers on the season. Uh, it's he actually has 80 assists and 75 turnovers, so he has a positive assist to turnover. Literally everyone else on Louisville's team, if you go down the entire thing, has more turnovers than assists. It's not good. Uh, so you would hope the Tar Heels, you know, Baycott and Nance are hurt, but their guards, their guards and wing guys aren't hurt. You know, if you could exploit that a little bit, get some live ball turnovers, some pick sixes, as Hubert Davis calls them. That could be helpful, but Louisville is one of the worst in college basketball at turning the ball over. What you got, John B.? I wanted to give a shout-out to R.J. Davis because in the beginning of the year, the narrative was a little bit that Caleb was having a rough shooting year, but R.J. was as well. But in conference play, R.J. Davis, 83% on free throws, 59% on twos, and 43% on three-pointers. That's very good. R.J. has kind of gotten right back into a hot shooting streak in conference play. That's my stat of the night. It's a good one. Good way to end. Positivity pod. It's been on the beat. Johnny T-shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Somebody asked, I am streaming the Inside Carolina Live show from CHL Studios from 10 to 12. We're doing it live. Doing it the same way I did the signing day show at the Don's Man Tower. So if it's screwed up, it's all on me. But it will be live on YouTube as well as streaming at chapelboro.com. Ross Martin, Adam Smith, John Bowman, I'm Tommy Ashley, Inside Carolina. Peace. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.